This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for June 9th, episode 1186. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned... And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. But don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us here on Endurance Day on Horses in the Morning. Karen is back. She is here the second Tuesday of every month, but this is her first time with our brand new system. She's going to sound so good to everybody. It sounds great. I know. It's different, huh? It is. It's nice. <laughs> we can actually hear each other <laughs> and have a conversation. And no static. And no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, hopefully, Yeah, hopefully it'll all go good. No getting cut off. <laughs> of course, the first day she tries this, she brings on a guest from Australia. So <laughs> <laughs> I had to really test it out. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Karen well, never does anything halfway. <laughs> <laughs> or easy. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Last night at eight o'clock, I'm falling asleep on the couch watching TV and she's like trying to arrange guests to interview at like midnight. So, (laughs) (laughs) but you are West Coast. So it is a little different over there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little different. You people are different. Gee, thanks. Well, coming up in today's show, we have Rusty from Redmond Equine. We're going to be giving away some more stuff. I know we gave away some stuff last time you were on uh, from Redmond Equine, and it went in like minutes. So you're going to have to pay attention, everybody, to figure out how to get your free stuff from Redmond Equine. And then we have Distance Depot joining us to talk about uh, supplements, right? Isn't that what we're talking about today? We are, yes. Okay. And. And then we have we have some really cool guests coming on. I know she's standing by from Australia, who were in a very unique ride. We're going to be talking about that because today's all about the bucket list one hundred mile rides, right? It is. It's the the Tom Quilty in Australia and the Bighorn One Hundred, which is a real old time historical one hundred mile ride here in the United States. And we're going to talk to Cindy about that a little bit later on in the show. Have you done either, either one of these? No, but I will someday. <laughs> it's, you know, one of those bucket list rides. Yeah, so. I guess the Australia one takes a lot of planning and a lot of money, especially if you're bringing your own horse. Takes us. Uh, well, well I don't think you, most people don't, I, I don't think they bring their own horse, but they use you know, one that's already there. Yeah, there, yeah. So, but it's amazing to me that they have a ride. Supposedly, they had 348 riders start Whoa. the quilty 
this year at midnight. I mean, how awesome is that? That's just it's crazy. You know, because even Tevis doesn't get that many entries. That's a lot so of that's, riders. <laughs> that's a lot of horses. That's I saw just... the beginning of the wagon in, in Kentucky in 2010, and it was like a start of a NASCAR race. I was expecting, you know, I was expecting people off of horses. It was just craziness. They take off at a dead gallop about, oh, there were only a couple hundred then. I can't imagine 400 taking off. It's like, or, yeah, oh, well, 348. Man. That's just, that's. Just the logistics of camp and managing that many horses and providing places for people to, you know, park and camp and the horses and the feed and the water. Wow. That's just, <laughs> that's just insane. It's crazy. And one of the writers I wanted to interview, uh, Paul Sidio, he's from Missouri. And he went over from the United States and he did complete the quilty. We had, I believe, seven out of 10 Americans complete. Oh, wow. And uh, we just couldn't get, I, I guess there had been a hurricane that had gone through Sydney last month and it took out a lot of their lines. So he just wasn't able to get a good enough connection, but he wanted to do it. So maybe next month we'll get him on and hear about his adventures. But he did send me some stuff. Uh, a little bit about uh, how, you know, what he thought and how everything compared. All right. And let me pull that up real quick. And And this is the Australia one we're talking about. Yeah, the quilty. And I just need to, I have all these, you know, multitasking windows open. Uh, Let's see. I know I sent it to you. Yep, yep, I have it here. Oh, you do? Well, then, how about you? It's the one from Paul Sidio? Yes, yes. Yeah, he says that Tom Quilty is as big a production as the endurance part in the 2010 WAG in Kentucky was. It is bigger than Tevis, Celebrity MCs. What's that? Oh, I see what he's saying. It's bigger than Tevis. It has celebrity MCs, catered <laughs> dinner, live music entertainment at the pre-ride meeting, the start, the awards, and a dinner dance. It was impressive. Well, we we the Australians know how to party. The main difference between USA and Australian endurance is the number of young people involved. There were over 100 small kids in camp and easily double that in 12 to 18-year-olds and probably 150 riders who entered were under 30 years old. Many people showed up in the family car or small SUV pulling the two-horse trailer. They did not seem to feel the need for a $60,000 four-door truck pulling a $50,000 living quarters trailer. Those young people are the future of the sport. In the U.S., we do not have that representation of young riders. Decades ago in the USA, riders gathered around fires at night before the ride and after the ride, sharing stories of horses and the trails. Today, we go into our private trailers. In Australia, it's like it's like it was in our old days. There were dozens of campfires around the base camp, and everybody was invited and welcomed to pull up a chair. Well, that's cool, huh? Yeah. So they, Sounds like a fun event. I always thought that uh, it was still that way here in the U.S. It is not, huh? Well, it is. In certain, you know, it varies from ride to ride and region to region. Definitely some places are more social and, and open and friendly and welcoming than others. 
But, you know, it also depends on the weather. Americans like their creature comfort. So if the weather's bad at all, then, yeah, they're going to be inside their trailers where it's either warm or cool or whatever, you you know, out of the elements. Well, you know what, though? I got to say, it's that way camping, too. Just regular camping at Uh campground. We used to belong to a camping club when I was a kid, and we went every weekend for years, ever. My whole growing up, and we had a one of those pop up campers that the sides fold out, and there were six of us in there. Um, <laughs> but so you didn't spend any time inside because there was no room, right? Nobody did at a campground. You were always in tents or those pop up campers. They didn't have the big things they have now. So everybody was outside all the time. Now you go to a campground, you, you don't. See, some of the people you never see leave their campers. Right. I'm not sure right. why they go. I know. <laughs> Just park in your backyard. To pack up and it's like you're, yeah, living out of your, you know, your house practically. I know. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. It sounds like a fun time. It does. It, it, what an adventure, too. To get Why to do you go think to they have the youth that we don't have? I'm not really sure. Today's youth, you know, in this country, they're all so focused on... The video games and the electronics and the internet seems like they're getting less and less active. Yeah, but they have that stuff in Australia, too. Exactly. So I don't know. There are some difficult... You know, there's definitely cultural differences between there and here. Like, like if you watch the start of the Quilty, which they did have some of that video up online, um, just watching them go by in general... You know, their riders are very fit and trim. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to say it nicely, but, you know, Americans, we supersize everything, including ourselves. <laughs> this is the girl who was just telling me that you were on this mega diet to lose some weight. <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. I know it's bad, but it's just it was interesting to watch the differences and, and their they're just a lot more streamlined and minimalist compared to us. When we ride, I mean, we carry everything, including the kitchen sink. You know, we have packs that carry all sorts of stuff with us. You know, we carry all, you know, first aid, water bottles, hoof picks, vet wrap, all sorts of stuff. And you watch most of them in the videos and a lot of them don't carry hardly anything at all if anything it's a water bottle or two and that's all well i I, um well let's ask adeline she's coming on later in the show she's from australia maybe she has let's let's remember to ask her that and uh see if she has an opinion on why why they're getting so much in the way of uh kids involved what have you been up to i know you uh you had a, a few rides right I have. I did the NASTAR 50, which is a close ride. It's a, it was in Dayton, Nevada. It was a, a really, uh, the weather worked out really good for us. It was warm. They had, I believe, around 93 or four riders all together between the 20, I think it was a 30 and a 50 and a 75, which uh, the 75 is the first or the second leg of the NASTAR Triple Crown, the 50 mile derby in April that was at Washoe uh, Lake State Park was the first. And then the third ride of the NASTAR Triple Crown is the Virginia City 100 in September. But I ended up doing the 50. I had wanted to do the 75, but I had just gotten a bug. My husband brought home a bug from work and we were both sick. Thanks, dear. 
Yeah, I know. I know. But it took him and me both almost two weeks to get over it. And I just, you know, it ended up warming up and it ended up in the high 90s, mid to high 90s. And I thought, yeah, it's probably not a good idea to go and do a 75 if I'm not feeling so good. It's not really fair to the horse. So I did the 50. And as it turned out, Bo did just exceptionally well on it. He just breezed right through it. We ended up in fourth place. I think there were 36 riders on the 50. Yay. Good for you. And it was my my first ride in my little four pound Pandora saddle. Oh, that saddle we talked about that only weighs four pounds. That's nothing. That's like nothingness. How'd it go? I know. It's carbon fiber. And I kept, you know, I wasn't really sure. I was kept thinking, well, you know, it's been comfortable on training rides. I've done up to 19 miles of training in it. And I'm thinking, oh, it won't bother me till I've gone, you know, 25 or 30. But as it turned out, I was comfortable all day. I didn't have any rubs or soreness. And the horse just, you know, he scored A's all day long, all the way through the finish on his back. And he was very comfortable in it. It, it worked really good so i was very very happy about that well so so did you were at any so at some point you forgot you were in a new saddle because that's always the test of whether it's good or not right it yeah exactly after a while i didn't even think about it it was i just it wasn't on the radar i didn't even register that i'm in a new saddle the only drawback was at the finish because i did finish fourth and so i was in the top 10 which makes me eligible to show for bc is it when I weighed in with my saddle and all my gear and stuff, I was only like 140 pounds. So that's not real helpful because, you know, when you show for BC, you want as much weight as possible when you weigh because it gives you more points. Ah, uh, okay. But that's okay. <laughs> well, you get, well, you're just going to have to get off that diet. See, that's all the problem. You need to make up for your saddle. That's what the problem is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's an excuse to eat, Karen. Look at it the positive way here. Oh, but it was so good for the horse. I know between my diet and dropping the, you know, to the smaller, lighter saddle, Bo carried, it was like 25 pounds less than he had been previously carried. And for that, you get penalized. Look at that. I know. (laughs) It's a weird sport you have. Well, uh, I do know, too, that uh, last time we talked, and I was so excited about this because it's one of my favorite things, you guys were putting in an application. The Endurance Group was putting in an application to be one of the groups, equestrian groups, at the Rose Bowl Parade. Uh And how's that going? Good. They got the application in, and and I think it went in very professionally and well done. They did an awesome job. And this... Coming Saturday, June 13th, um, several of us, you know, that are in that parade group to hopefully go to the Rose Parade are going to be doing the Carson Valley Days Parade. It's 105th year for that parade. And we're going to be doing that. And then, of course, I volunteered to carry a flag. So I've been torturing. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Karen. You ride an Arab. And you volunteered to carry a flag. And I and I volunteered to carry a flag, you know. Parade with all these little screaming kids throwing apples at you and and cotton candy. 
Real flag, yes. And so I've been torturing Chief uh, for the last (laughs) couple of days with the flag. Of course, if he can't handle the flag, he's not going to be able to handle all the things he's going to see in the parade, right? Oh, especially the Rose Parade. Oh, (laughs) my God. So I've been, you know, he's not really amused. He just wants to be fed. So he's been getting to eat. So you're just going to hook one of those feed buckets to his his mouth, and you're going to have him eat the whole parade? Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Like the carrot stick in the cartoons. That'll just going to hold it out in front of him. <laughs> That'll work. You know, he's not in his, I've been waving the flag. <laughs> with a feedback on his face. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. Well. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, It'll good luck. Uh, we want pictures and video, okay? Because that'll be good. We'll get lots of hits on that. So yeah, I'm sure. We'll make sure we take video this weekend at the Carson Valley Days Parade of Karen doing the doing the parade in about two minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all those other floats, I don't know why they take so long to finish the parade. I'm done already. Well, most mostly they'll be going. What is that thing over there spinning circles? <laughs> Whoever thought it was a good idea to bring Arabs in a parade anyway? Oh, I'll need my GPS and I'll probably do, you know, 20 miles. (laughs) Just in circles. Just in circles. (laughs) At high speed. (laughs) All right. Why don't we introduce our first guest? Okay. uh, Adeline, let's see. Nope, Uh, nope. It's Rusty. Oh, Rusty. That's right. Yeah. Oh, we're doing the endurance tip. Okay. Rusty Bastian from Redmond Equine, and he's coming on to talk about daily gold. Hi, Rusty. Welcome, Rusty. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Doing great. Good to be with you guys. Hey, Rusty, have you ever ridden an Arab horse in a parade with a flag? Do you know what? That is on my bucket list, but I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's bucket list, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I've, Continue. I'm yet to uh, check that one off so. <laughs> Karen will do it for you this weekend We'll let you know how it goes, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh dear <laughs> All right, Rusty Well, let, Tell us a little bit about Daily Gold I know I use it every day on my horses And it's a great product So, So tell us about it you know, Daily Gold, you know, is really is an amazing product. It's, uh, you know, sometimes when you're using a natural product, people feel like you are giving up a little bit of performance just so that you can do something natural. And Daily Gold is one of these products where you don't have to compromise performance for using something that, something that is really good for your horse and has no additives. It's just completely natural. And what it does is it changes the pH of the horse's gut so that the horse has an optimized environment in its gut and allows the horse to heal itself from the inside out. And so it it binds toxins, it normalizes pH, um, and it it has a calming effect on on horses that that a lot of times... uh, high-strong horses that are uh, performance-minded. They're, they're sometimes nervous, and that nervous creates that excess acid in the gut. And, and this helps uh, take away the symptoms and, and the causes 
of some of those problems. And, and we've had such great results and we've had people send us letters saying, you know what, you've, you've completely saved my horse. And we don't have very many products where people uh, mm-hmm. send us testimonials that are that strong. So it's, it's, it's really cool product. Right. And I know there's been some uh, research at Brigham Young University that concluded that Daily Gold was able to bind the uh, 99% of the aflaxotoxin B1 that is commonly found in horse feet. Yeah, that's right. Um, it did. Um, Brigham Young University did a test, a study, and, and showed that aflatoxins um, are, are bound by this product and they're when they're bound, they then just pass through the horse and and that's that's why it is such a great toxin binder. What what Daily Gold is chemically is it's volcanic ash that fell in seawater and is saturated with about seventy different sea minerals. Um, very few products that you can find where it has almost the same mineral profile as the ocean does, but because mm-hmm. it was saturated with seawater, that's that's what what happened to it, and it has you know these these toxin binding abilities. Well, that's great. And this morning we are going to be giving away um, is it ten um, sample packs that are good for two two weeks worth of. Uh, supplement supplementation for a horse and all you need to do in order to win one of those is to go to the Redmond Equine Facebook page make sure you click like on it and then you need to make a comment and tag horses in the morning and mention that you're entering the contest to win a sample of daily gold and I know we did this last month, and these went within minutes. So make sure you uh, get over there quickly to do that. Uh, right. Last month, we gave away the, the Redmond Relights, yes. which, which are a human electrolyte, and, and they're very you know, helpful for those of us that are riding endurance rides, especially in the heat. They're really good at helping us to stay uh, you know, hydrated and to keep us from getting... Uh, muscle soreness and cramps and stuff like that when we're doing an endurance ride. So uh, the Redmond products also help our horses in the same way. They have uh, Redmond Rocks and uh, the Daily Red and the Daily Gold, which is what we're discussing right now. Yeah, I uh, I actually just got my fir- first bottle of the of the Relights, and I haven't had a chance oh, to try them yet. So I'll let you know. I haven't worked that hard outside that I needed them yet. So that's the problem. <laughs> we have you have all summer. That's right. <laughs> I could go ride in a parade this weekend. I might need a few. Uh, I know. So, how much uh, daily gold, Rusty? Will I need to feed a chief to keep him from spinning circles on Saturday? <laughs> uh, yeah, you I know, probably don't Arabian have enough. Like that, maybe the entire package. You know? <laughs> uh, no. What uh, what we have in in this uh, pouch is a four and a half pound pouch, and there's a small scoop inside the pouch, and the scoop is one ounce, and about two of those one ounce scoops per day, just top dress feed. You know the thing about this product, if you look at other products on the market that do something similar, uh, most of them 
uh, have omeprazole in them. They're, they're a drug. They, they cost twenty plus dollars a day. Um, mm-hmm. Daily gold for a forty-five day supply is around sixteen dollars. And uh, so you take this pouch, you put a couple scoops a day, and that that should last you between, uh, depending on if you use one or two scoops, um, around. 40, 45 days. Okay, and what is uh, Redmond's website address, Rusty? It's uh, www.redmondequine.com. Great. So if anybody it's would like website. to learn learn more about Daily Gold or the other Redmond products, go go check out the, the, equine, the Redmond Equine website. All right, sounds yeah, good. Thank you, to, Rusty. Uh, Thank you very much. All right, take care. Bye. Redmond Equine. One of we we I can see actually from where I'm sitting now the rock on a rope hanging out there in my paddock <laughs> for my pony. He'll, I know. he'll lick on that thing for 20 minutes at a time. I'm always thinking his, his tongue's going to be bloody by the time he's done. <laughs> Mine love it. They polish theirs up like little diamonds. They're That's all true. So shi- they're, they're all, all smooth. shiny and smooth. And <laughs> and a lot of the bigger rocks that I have in their feed bins have like a little hole in the middle. It's like they they work on... It's like they're artists. They're trying to form them into some sort of at, art. <laughs> I got to tell you, I was at Gander Mountain the other day, and we have a Gander Mountain not too far from us. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a big sporting sp- supply store for hunters and fishermen and stuff. And um, so I go in there, and I see this huge display of Redmond Rocks for the deer, uh-huh. for salt licks for the wow, deer. Okay. Yeah, huge display for the salt licks for the deer. And by the way, we always think it's more expensive for us, you know, to buy stuff for horses, that they always raise the prices for horse people. You should see, they even raise the prices more for, for hunters, uh, oh. because their Redmond rocks are more expensive than ours. So, <laughs> <laughs> same rock, more expensive at Gander Mountain. You don't want to go there to buy your Redmond rock. You can get it at your, your local uh, feed store much cheaper. Right. Okay. Wow. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, do our product of the month with our good friends over at Distance Depot. And then we're coming back. We're going to attempt to talk to Adeline Gibson all the way from Australia about that amazing event they have down there. Good morning, Kristen. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Karen. Great to be here. Um, today we're going to talk about uh, the different kinds of supplements you carry at the Distance Depot. Last month we covered electrolytes for horses and all the different types that you have. So today uh, I think will be useful for the listeners to hear about the different supplements that you carry and what they're for. So let's start at the top of your uh, website. You've got several on your um supplements, electrolytes, and probiotics page for people that want to find that. The link is on the left. And one of the first ones is Redmond Daily Gold and Redmond Daily Red. Tell us a little bit about those two products. That's right. The Daily Red is pretty much um, the Redmond Rock crushed down. Um, It's great for hydration, you, um, you know, so it's a loose salt, if you will. Um, and you can put it in a bowl or feed it daily in your feed. Whereas the Daily Gold um, sort of offers stress relief. It's great for horses that have stomach ulcers. It has a natural detox clay in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's great for digestive 
um, situations, and it also offers some electrolyte replacement as well. Right, and I use that every day on both of my horses, and, and I think it's a great product. Yes, they are great. And we've just introduced their, their salts and their elites that we also talked about last time, but we're happy to have those on board um, for our ride. That sort of stuff, too. And you also have the Redmond Rocks salt and the, and the big rocks. We do, yes. We, those are a little heavier to ship, but we offer those as well. And, in fact, the bags are about four pounds. Um, but, uh, you know, you get quite a bit out of, out of that. And the rocks are fabulous, too. I mean, they don't melt from the, from the rain and so on, but um, it, they really are. And, and mined right here in the USA in Utah, so mm-hmm. that's also a great thing. All right, and I see you have a couple of different horse quencher products. It looks like you have single-serve packets and then a, a larger size uh, bag. We do, and, and that's an interesting product. It, it looks a little like horse feed. I don't know if you've ever used it. I've used it a couple times myself, and the horses really do like it. It sort of floats. It looks like a, a sweet feed, if you will, and it floats in the water and makes your horses drink. So if you're having trouble getting your horses to drink, um, this is a great product to help them along because they want to get in there and get that, <laughs> get that feed. So um, they end up do, um, really drinking. So it's a, it's a nice product for that use. Mm-hmm. And what is the immediate response that comes in a syringe? Uh-huh. That what? is a tube that you would use if you were suspecting your horse was having some digestive issues, perhaps looking like he might colic. The ingredients inside are designed um, to help pull him around. And we've actually had phone calls from people who say it saved them vet b- visits. And Sherry... Our gal here that um, works in customer service and in the shipping, she has used it on her own horses and says it has saved her guys and made them feel better really quickly. So the ingredients are are designed to um, help them pull out of a stomach ache and that sort of situation. Oh, good. Yeah, that might be handy to just have on hand. And what about the Blitz paste? Yes, the Blitz. um, We have the Blitz and we also have the BCAA. Um, basically, um, uh, BCAA uh, has the um, branched-chain amino acids, and the Blitz, um, they're both, you can preload these, um, you know, start using them maybe three days ahead, but they are designed to help your horse perform harder, stronger, and longer. So helping them um, get through a ride, I think the riders are using the Blitz um, you know, partway through the ride as well, okay. sort of giving them a boost um, and, and, you know, helping them with their recovery um, throughout their muscle muscle recovery as well. Right, and the BCAAs are also helpful for post-ride recovery or um, I use them sometimes when I'm doing a really long uh, trip with the horses and they're going to be in the trailer for a long time. I'll put a little BCAA powder in their in their feed. Yes, and they and they say you know it's a, it supports the horse during, before, during, and after. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. And then I see you have a couple of different kinds of uh, probiotics. Tell us about those. Okay, um, we have had the ABC. Many of your listeners may be um, aware of the ABC liquid. 
um, that's manufactured by Advanced Biological Concepts, and it has been around for a very long time. Um, it, you know, that is a perfect, it's a fabulous probiotic um, for the horse and available in liquid form, so it gets into the system really quickly. And we also have, um, made by the same company that makes the BCAA, they have a new product called GI Bloom, and that's a, a powdered uh, probiotic. So um, helping the horse in situations of, you know, stress or if you're trailing for a long time and during an endurance ride, mm-hmm. feed, the, feed the probiotics. So those are some great um, probiotics. Yes, and the probiotics do really help some horses. And, and this year, AERC had passed that new rule where the vets are now required to check all four gut co- quadrants on our horses. And so a lot of people, I think, are learning that uh, their horses might have good gut sounds on the one quadrant that used to only get checked, but maybe not so much on all four anymore. And, and so this is a product, the kind of product that can help with improving the gut sounds on all four quadrants, which, you know, just makes our horses healthier and be able to get through the rides in, in better shape. So then you have a Pro-VM, vitamin mineral. Yes, and that would be, um, it's, it's loaded, <laughs> the, the VM. It's loaded with vitamins and minerals. It would be a daily supplement that you would feed, um, just sort of a great all-around, also developed by that peak performance company, um, that's making the um, BCAA and Blitz. They have that perfect balance electrolyte out that many of your listeners may be aware of too. And so this is just a daily, a great daily um, vitamin that you can give to your horses as well. Okay. And next, I see you have some product. You know, me prone to getting ulcers or a little upset tummies. Uh, you have Nalox and MyoGuard. Tell us about those items. Yes, yeah, so the Nalox is designed um, to help horses that do have gastrointestinal, sort of like a, if you think of your own Malox you might take. Um, and you can feed that as needed, I think. Um, the MyoGuard is, is a, a, a muscle. Um, it support, uh, supports proper muscle function. Okay during stress, and so it helps reduce the fatigue and decrease your um, recovery times. It has vitamin E, C, magnesium, and selenium. Okay, and you also have a product called Elevate, um, looks like vitamin E powder, and also Elevate vitamin E and selenium. Yes, those are great products if your horses don't get enough of the vitamin E um, and your veterinarians recommend um, feeding an an E supplement. Um, They are uh, developed by Kentucky Performance Products, who are the makers of Enduramax. Okay. um, The SE has the selenium, so that's an uh, addition to the vitamin E. Right. And moving down to one of the the final products we have, you have a formula for feet from Equilife. Yeah, so we feed this. This is um, this product was actually designed um, by the the director of the laminitis um, clinic, and so it's a fabulous uh, uh, product for for your horse's feet. My horse happens to have <laughs> pretty bad feet, and this has done wonders. And um, it's very tasty. Our horses love it as well, and it has some added vitamins and minerals in it too. So it's really a fabulous product. Good. And how long did it take for you to see results from when you started feeding it? Um, 
I would say at least a month, and we've been working pretty hard with our, our farrier to, to um, improve this horse's angles and so on, um, mm-hmm. have the best foot care before we got him. But our, even our farrier has remarked at, at how much of a difference he's seeing in this particular horse's feet. Um, and my husband's horse, too, he, um, he, he, he benefits from this as well. But I would say, you know, we started probably seeing in one or two shoeings definite um, big improvements. Oh, good, good. And if somebody's interested in ordering any of these products, t- tell us how t- to reach you. Okay, well, absolutely. They can visit us at thedistancedepot.com um, and, and or give us a call at 866-863-2349, and we'd be happy to help. Terrific. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Well, that's the Distance Depot you can find. And Karen, I think we have our next guest. Ready. We do, live from Australia. We have Adeline Gibson, who just completed the Tom Quilty ride along with, I believe, her mother. And uh, she's on to tell us about it. Welcome to the show, Adeline. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me. Oh, I just love your accent. I love all the Aussie accents. (laughs) Thank you. We enjoyed there are a few American accents around camp at the Quilty as well, which was very nice to hear. Well, uh, thank you so much for staying up. Is it past midnight where you are now? Just about, but I think um, given I was up at 11 to start riding at midnight only a few days ago, I think my body is now adjusting and gearing <laughs> up to go riding. <laughs> it's a practice for an endurance ride. Well, tell us about the Quilty. How was your ride? It was an amazing experience. I mean, um, I, I'm not sure if they have verified that it was the largest endurance ride in the world, um, but there were 342 starters in the end. Oh, and okay. it was just amazing to um, be part of an event that was that big. And Okay, Adeline, I have to ask, do, by the way, is it Adeline or Adeline? Adeline. The, Adeline. The Sneaky on the end. Okay, so Adeline, Adeline. let okay. me ask you, how do you start a race with 340? Are they all one big group, or do you start in sections, or what? It was really well managed by the ride committee. So um, one of the particular challenges with this ride, it the Quilty began 50 years ago in the Hawkesbury area in New South Wales, which is where it was held again. But in that 50 years, the... Um, Hawkesbury area has become much more domesticated and there aren't those large sort of farms there anymore. So the ride was actually held out of a a private resort and a lot of the camping grounds and the start area was part of a golf course. So every rider's dream to ride on a golf course. (laughs) Little holes were sort of sectioned off when we were marshalling around. So what they decided to do, because they had to start us on a couple of K of tar, was start the first group in a group of 100, escorted by a car for two kilometres up the tar, and then they had a group of uh, about 200, and then the rest went. So it was pretty full on. I'm not going to lie. You know, I (laughs) I definitely personally was quite nervous about how that was going to go, Um, and there were definitely some fresh horses. Mm. Um, But overall... They were really good. I mean, I think the horses were a bit overwhelmed as well as the riders. <laughs> we 
which maybe kept them in line. Um, <laughs> but they all sort of, you know, it was quite good that they had the um, the escort car for the first few K because no one was able to gallop off and maybe, you know, set off mm-hmm. other horses. Everyone had to leave at quite a steady pace. Um, and then we moved after a couple of K onto nice big open road, like dirt roads, and um, people were able to, you know, make a move then if they wanted to. And so describe what the tra- trail was like in the terrain. It was really varied. So um, as I said, this area has has changed a lot in the last 50 years, um, but the ride organisers went to enormous effort to allow us to ride on some of the original trails. Um, there was even a, a very dedicated committee who actually built their own sort of trails, which allowed us to get back onto old trails. So in the dark, we did a lot of work on um, open dirt roads, which are, you know, access roads for people who live in the area, which was great to have. In the dark with that volume of horses, it was really necessary to be travelling on that terrain. Um, but as we moved into the light, we um, we had a few really technical courses um, some, you know, parts where we were on very narrow tracks and, you know, bit rocky and sort of jumping our way up. Not quite Tevis, but, you know, a bit Tevis-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the fourth leg, everyone was cursing the ride organisers for a little while there because we <laughs> uh, turned onto a very technical, windy little trail which snuck up on us all at the end of the fourth leg. But um, in retrospect, it was very beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how did you do? When you look back and you're not in pain, it was great. (laughs) Exactly. Look, I have to admit, we were all cursing a bit when we hit that trail because we weren't expecting it. Um, But, but it was very beautiful, and um, you know, retrospectively, it's all part of the challenge, isn't it? (laughs) Right. So, so it's cool. You guys start at midnight, so then you know, once the sun comes up, you're mainly writing in the daylight. Yeah, that's right. That's sort of cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for um, the front runners, they were sort of finished by around um, 5 p.m. So they didn't have to then go on into the dark. Um, I finished at about 6.30 p.m. So I had to do a little bit of writing in the evening, but Uh not much. Um, and for, for some of the slower riders, it's pretty tough because they've got the dark at, at both ends. But um, it's a good system. It sounds pretty cool to, to be able to do. What is involved, I mean, from your perspective, looking at the logistics to, to just manage that many horses, not just in camp, but on the trail with the vet checks and the water? I mean, how, how did all that I have to say, you know, come off. It was really well managed. I mean, um, my my team, Blake's Heaven, we weren't involved in um, putting the ride on because we were so busy training all our horses. (laughs) But it was um, quite remarkable what they managed to put together because, as I said, the ride base was actually a resort. So, Fitting that many horses into that space was really hard work Um, and they did a very good job. 
And um, as I also said, you know, some to allow us to get onto some of these trails, they also had to do an enormous amount of work um, working on those trails and making them mm-hmm. appropriate for the number of horses. Because, you know, normally you might have, we might have maybe 100 riders. Suddenly you've got 300 and something and you need to make sure that um, those trails are going to be acceptable and, and hold up to that many horses traveling over it. Now, was there natural water on the trail or did they have to haul it out and put it into troughs? They had to haul it out and they did a great job. Wow. Yep, they had so much water out there for the horses, um, all which was transported onto the course. They were also really nice to the riders. We had lots of water and lollies and um, volunteers everywhere. It was an amazing set up and I I don't think we I don't think I'll ever see a ride um like that again honestly it was pretty ph- phenomenal okay wow. every american wants to know because we're cheeky uh <laughs> did you see kangaroos and were they in your way <laughs> uh, you know what i don't think i saw any kangaroos on this ride <laughs> probably only because there were so many horses but i can tell you on plenty of other rides we do see them, and yep, sometimes they get in our way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all see the video of the kangaroo knocking the rider off, you know. Um, yeah. You see that video, and it's probably the one time it's ever happened in history, you know. I think so. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So. so do you get wildlife? I mean, I know that some of the rides Karen's on, she's, you know, she sees some interesting critters. Do you guys get wildlife that's interesting? Yeah, yeah we do. I mean, um, it. Australia is so varied in its um, terrain and I'm sure like you guys where the rides are held. So we get all kinds of things, you know, we'll, we'll have um, sheep and cows and I've been chased by a cow on an endurance ride before. <laughs> um, Did you know that the cow is the most uh, dangerous domestic animal? Do you know what? That does, actually doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I just saw a study the other day. Cows hurt people more than any other domestic animal, if you consider it a domestic animal, you know. Wow. Yeah. Glad I stayed away from them then. But yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see snakes every now and then, definitely kangaroos. Um, but yeah, it just probably depends. Depends on the ride and, um, you know, where you are. Why do you think, and we, we, Karen and I were talking about this earlier, and we didn't come up with a good answer. What, you had so many kids, so many young people under 30. We don't yeah. have that over here. Yeah, uh, right. you know, we, yeah, we don't have that. Why do you think that is endurance so popular over there right now? Uh, you know, I think the, the kids most of the time um, come through families. And I think one of the things that we really strive to foster in Australian endurance is that family um, atmosphere. And um, there's a lot of serious families who who have a a junior or two and usually Mm -hmm. it's a a son or a daughter but maybe it's a cousin or even, you know, the next-door neighbour's kid um, in tow. And I think that's something we're really proud of and I also think kids get really inspired by other kids um so if your mum and dad are into it and you come along to a ride and and you see these other kids competing I think it's really inspiring for them and um it's exciting and they want to have a go we have a 13 year old 
who's just started doing 80-kilometre rides with us this year and um, now the daughter of one of our other riders is is very inspired by her and wants to get into it. So I think, you know, we we do try and definitely encourage that here and I think the more you have, the more you bring, basically. So the moral of that story is we're not having enough kids, Karen. <laughs> it must be. It must be. <laughs> you know, that's. I know. You know, I think this ties in, though. We read it. Uh, actually, Paul Sidio is an American who was there, and he wrote us a note to read on the air. And the last paragraph, I want to talk to you a little bit about it. It ties sure. perfectly into what you said about families. He said, decades ago in the USA, riders gathered around fires at night before the ride and after the ride, sharing stories of horses in the trails. Today, we go into our private trailers. In Australia, it's still like our old days. There were dozens of campfires around base camp and everybody was invited and welcome to put up a chair. And, you know, Karen was saying, you know, with these living quarter trailers now, you just don't see as much of that as you used to, like you guys Mm -hmm. still have. Yeah, well, look, we definitely don't have a private trailer to go and sit in. So So you have to be outside. Might as well sit around a fire, right? Um, But, I mean, that is I think that's not just – I think it is one of the things that is changing with the sport, um, you know, a certain level of professionalism and the um, facilities that come along with that. But I would also say that, um, you know, everybody – I think that's one of the things that people like about the sport, the community, and it's something, mm-hmm. again, that people try and hold on to because it's so enjoyable. And I do, I have to say, I also think social media is actually really great for keeping that community going outside of the rides so that people are really excited to catch up with their mates and um, and see what they've been up to in between rides. So I think, you know, positives and negatives in uh, the modern world maybe. Okay, Adeline, or how do you how do you Adeline. pronounce your name, Adeline? Adeline. Yep. How do you uh, how did your group do? I know, I know your mother also rode. Yeah, so we, um, my mother and my sister and I. Um, wow, great! Lake Heaven, yeah. So we're definitely the classic. Mum got us both into it. <laughs> Good. Um, and we had uh, four horses under our immediate care and then another four horses in our extended Blake's Heaven team who are um, owned by new owners but work with us. Um, so my my mum did really well. She came um, second lightweight and she was fourth over the line, which was just an amazing result for her, especially as the mare she was riding. It's actually only been broken in for 18 months. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, so she's um, a 12-year-old mare. We broke her, got her late in life and uh, broke her late in life. She's bred very tough and, you know, being older has great mental resilience mm-hmm. um, already, so she's come on very quickly. Um, I came 13th lightweight on my beautiful horse, Blake's Heaven Venus, which I was really pleased with. She had a a major injury last year. So um, I think I can say she's fully recovered from that now, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then unfortunately we had we had two vet outs. My sister um, went out on her horse Bombora and a New Zealand lady who was riding with us unfortunately went out. 
both of them lost shoes. Mm. They were our only horses wearing who were shod. The rest of our horses were running in renegade hoof boots and I think it's safe to say they'll all be running in Renegade Hoof Boots. <laughs> <laughs> well, Renegade is actually one of our sponsors, and it was our next commercial, but you're doing it for us. So <laughs> we don't have to do it now. So you like those. I mean, Karen uses them. You know, you see all the pictures of Karen riding up Tevis Mountains uh, in her Renegade boots, but uh, they're being used down in Australia too. Definitely. We... um I mean, one of the things we really strive for in Blake's Heaven is horses who are continuing performers, you know, not just one or two outstanding seasons, but to to keep going and keep performing um, consistently year in, year out. And that's one of the reasons that the boots really appeal to us because we think that they help reduce the concussiveness. Um, especially in Australia, there are a lot of very dry, um, tough tracks, and uh, we we think it's really important to reduce that concussiveness where we mm-hmm. can. Um, we've tried lots of different boots over the years, and, um, yeah, the Renegades really work for us. And we had, as I said, eight horses, six in Renegades, not a single Renegade came off or faltered at all during the ride. Do you have any problems? Let me follow that up. Do you have any problems with them twisting at all? Um, well, we, I mean, I suppose we've been working with the glue-ons, you mean, or the strap-ons? Oh, the strap-ons. Um, not really. I okay. think the fit is important. Um, but, you know, we also don't consider it a big deal if we have to jump off at some point and make a right. minor adjustment. adjustment. But it's yeah. pretty rare. Um but, you know, if you do have to jump off every now and then and, and wiggle something around, we don't think that's a big deal. It's worth it for, for all the benefits. Mm-hmm. There you go. There's the commercial, renegadehoofboots.com, <laughs> endorsed by Australians everywhere. Yeah. Um, now, let, let me follow up on uh, what you said. I was thinking about you and, and your sister and your mom, and I was thinking, I wonder, it, you probably remember the exact age you beat her in a race for the first time, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't, but I guarantee. <laughs> you my sister does <laughs> absolutely she does i i'm not um instinctively anywhere near as competitive as they are uh, fear and talia are, are both pretty competitive people so i couldn't tell you but i 100 percent guarantee you that talia could because <laughs> you know what they probably they probably karen they probably didn't care till they were about 13 that age <laughs> when when mom can't do anything right and it's like i'm gonna beat you <laughs> you know so that's, <laughs> that's great that's right but i can tell you we were very happy not to beat her um last weekend she did she did so well and and she really deserved to do that well she rode a great race on um brooklyn shirley and we were very proud of her well yes fourth place overall out of yeah 140 horses that's that is pretty impressive that she must have had an incredible ride what did she have to say when she was done um, I think she had to say congratulations to me. <laughs> she was no, she was really proud of herself. Actually, what she um she was very close to the person who came first. And I think for a little while she was a little disappointed. She, you know, was 
wondering if perhaps she should have um, changed her strategy at some point or, you know, um, pushed harder for that first place. But uh-huh. we all think, um, you know, she made all the right decisions and she got through and she rode a fantastic ride. And the thing with endurance is, you know, you wonder if maybe you should have made a different decision, but then on the flip side of that, maybe if you'd made that decision, you wouldn't have had a successful completion. So, um, yeah, she just did a fantastic job and and so did her horse who really didn't falter all day. Wow. And do you have a website or a Facebook page that you can tell us about if people want to go and visit? Yeah, we sure do. Um, you can follow us at www.blakesheaven.horses.com and we're also on Facebook as Blake's Heaven. And that's B-L-A-K-E-S. Yep. And then H-E-A-V-E-N. Or you can just Google us. We'll come up because it's an unusual name. (laughs) Okay. Well, Adeline, we appreciate you staying up through the middle of the night to talk to us. And and I I just want to congratulate you and and your whole family on your success at the Quilty. And I look forward to meeting you in person someday. Thank you. Same here. Thanks so much for talking to us. And I should quickly say too, because I didn't say before, um, from our other four riders, we had three successful finishes, including 14th middleweight, 19th lightweight, and 36th middleweight. So overall, we had a really uh, strong result for our whole team. So go us. <laughs> That's great. Good job. There's the cheering. You can hear them in the background. <laughs> Great job. Thank you so much for staying up. We really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. Take care. Well, she was great, huh? I she know. Was fun. I could talk and to her sound, all day. It sounded really good. I love their Aussie accents. They're it sounded so like much, she was in the same room with us. I mean, so it was that clear fun. connection. <laughs> I know. It's great. It was, it was wow. Really what an awesome thing. I, and for her mo- mother to finish, you know, that far up out of a field that a large. 300 <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's crazy. And then she was like, oh, yeah, we started one group of 100, and the second group was 200. (laughs) (laughs) On the road. By the way, they started on the road for two miles. (laughs) That's what she was I assume that's what she was saying about tar. They started on the road. Uh, Yeah, it'll make, you know, starting Tavis seemed like a piece of cake in comparison. Wow. Have you ever done a ride where you start on the road for the first two miles? Actually, Tavis has a controlled start. So do they? Yeah. For a mile or two. And of course, it's like five in the morning then. So it's still pretty dark usually. And it's kind of cool because you've got the sparks from all the horses oh, with great. Yeah, metal that's cool. shoes. <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah, it's kind of a, you know, there, you feel the electricity from it. It's just so energizing. It, it's kind of a cool, cool thing. And I'm sure the quilty's got to be pretty, you know, pretty awesome to, just to be there. I mean, what a cool thing. Uh, well, you're going to have to go next year and check, with, uh, check in with us live for, from the race. I know, I know. <laughs> we'll call yeah, you live. because apparently midnight, you know, you're going to be doing the show. Yeah. I'll just call you right from the start. Yeah, Say, call hey. us from the start on your I'm cell right phone, here. and we can chat with you while while you're riding down the road with 200 of your friends. Yeah, I'm right here at the start, and, <laughs> <laughs> and there we <laughs> go. <laughs> it can't be any more hard than than you know riding an Arab in the parade with Pray. a flag. <laughs> Well, you and Jennifer had a chance to catch up with a different writer about a different show. 
We did. Uh, we talked to uh, Cindy Collins, who lives in Wyoming. She has been writing since, and she'll tell us about this, uh, from the late 70s. And she's going to tell us about the history of the Bighorn 100, which is another uh, big uh, bucket list ride in the United States. All right, let's take a listen. Good morning, Cindy. Thank you for joining us on the show. Good morning, Karen. Well, let's talk about the Bighorn 100. Give us a little history on the ride itself. When did it start? Sure, I'll give you a little history. Let me let me tell you first how I became involved and then back you up on the history because I wasn't involved from the very beginning. Um, the ride, actually, the first year of the Bighorn 100 Incorporated was 1971. I learned about it in 1979. I saw an ad in the Cody Enterprise, I'm here in Cody, Wyoming, about a meeting of the Bighorn 100 to be held in Grable at the Bighorn Federal Savings and Loan Building. And the ad mentioned endurance riding in a 100-mile event that was held to challenge horses and riders. Well, this is almost classic. We had uh, recently purchased a three-year-old Arab gelding unbroke from a friend here in Cody. And I had read somewhere the Arabians were really good at long-distance riding. Uh, as a child, <laughs> I'd only ridden quarter horses around the fields of South Louisiana, and I didn't know a whole lot about riding long-distance or riding trails in the mountains. I had never had a riding lesson, and I'd never really known anyone else who loved horses like I did. Um, and... You know, I've said to a lot of people that wise men say there are moments that define your whole life, some small decision that changes the course of mm -hmm. everything else afterwards, and attending that meeting at the basement of the Bighorn Federal in the fall of 1979, learning about endurance riding, learning about the Bighorn 100, <clears throat> and meeting Tom Van Gelder, one of the founders, was my defining moment. The The Bighorn 100 ride predates the AERC. Um, there was a, a saddle club in Grable, Wyoming, a very small community, and that was Canyon Cavalier Saddle Club. And in late 1970, one of the members, perhaps he was the president, I'm not sure, Dale Perkins, brought up in a meeting that he had read about a 100-mile one-day ride over the Sierra Mountains in California, which we all know, of course, is the Tevis. Mm -hmm. Well, Dale thought there was no reason why there shouldn't be a ride just like that in Wyoming over the Bighorn Mountains. And they really did not have a clue about <laughs> what this might entail. <laughs> but they located a young veterinarian from Laramie who supposedly had ridden the Western State's 101-mile one-day ride or the Tevis Cup. And so a very young Dr. David Nicholson accepted the invitation to come to Grable and tell the club how to run a 100-mile endurance ride. Mm -hmm. And... um you know, that was the beginning of the 100. In 1971, the first Bighorn 100 ride was held. <clears throat> it's sort of local legend that everybody thought, well, the horses out here were so much tougher than horses in other places. And they were all rather shocked whenever Pat Fitzgerald showed up <laughs> from California uh -huh. and uh, easily won the first Bighorn 100 against the local horses. So that was sort of the start of the ride. And, and where, it has gone on continuously since then. Oh, good. Where does it start and where does it finish? It starts and finishes in Shell, Wyoming, okay. at the base of the Bighorn Mountains. Um, it is a single loop ride. 
and uh, starts down in the desert. Um, one of the challenges of the ride is that um, it is very often really hot down in Shell in July. Um, it's not unusual for the weather to be in the, say, high 90s, maybe low 100s even that time wow. of year. It's very desert. It's Well, it's between three and 4,000 feet, somewhere probably high 30s. Um, so, you know, pretty low elevation for around here. Uh-huh. And but it climbs up to almost eleven thousand feet, so it's also not unusual to get snowed on on top of the mountain. So one of the challenges is being able to manage yourself and your horse with those huge uh, variations in temperature. What's the trail like? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's uh, it's got everything, and I really do mean that. It um, it's primarily single and two track uh, kind of jeep trails. But um, there's a short portion of of actual gravel road, but it's not very long. Um, The trail, as I said, it starts down in the desert. And it it starts around 4,000 feet. And the first 15 miles kind of are a gradual rise out of the desert to the base of the mountains. Um, Lots of beautiful purple and orange and rose and brown rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and some clear streams that you go through. And then my favorite section of the trail is the next 12 miles after that. And that's where we locals will say you're going to climb through the canyons. And you begin about a 5,000-foot climb through a series of five canyons. Um, fantastic views of multiple mountain ranges all around you, um, wildflowers. Um, this uh, is primarily single-track trail. Um, very remote. Um, there are some drop-offs. They're not quite as spectacular uh, as the drop-offs that most people don't even see on Tevis. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, right. But uh, but there are certainly people who have uh, sadly uh, slipped off the trail. Um, Barb Seeker, who from Kansas, is one of the few, well, one of only two people with ten Bighorn 100 buckles. Actually, uh, okay. She had a she had a stallion who. Um, finished the ride multiple times. I I don't know this for sure, but I want to say he finished five or six of her rides. But uh-huh. somehow he tended to slip off of a section of that single track almost every year. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I mean, they they'd still go on and finish, but um, it is some there is some narrow single track. Um, overall, the footing I think is is really, really good footing, but there are rocks. And so it kind of depends on what part of the country you're from as to whether or not you think it's rocky or not. Right. Uh, One of the things in the footing that people do talk about is when you're coming back down off the mountain after 75 miles, when you're heading back down on the desert, and it's a part that most people see in the dark. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a bunch of what we call slick rock. And it's like some granite slabs that you have to be very careful on. Are you telling us that you have to ride across people's kitchen countertops? (laughs) Exactly. Okay. (laughs) For a few feet. Okay. Just checking. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. And it's in the dark and it's downhill. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no big deal. When you're an endurance rider, no big deal. Right across the kitchen countertop in the dark. No big deal. I, I think the the saddest thing for me personally is that the ride had used the Adelaide Trail, which is a single track that starts at about, mm, I'd say it's at about the 45-mile to 50-mile point on the ride mm-hmm. originally. Um, it 
went through three quarters of a mile of wilderness. And we had been allowed to use it for over 30 years. And um, a different um, a different far supervisor came in about now, and it's probably now been about 10 years ago, and he did not allow us to go through it anymore. And so we did lose that one section of Aww. really spectacular single track. And, you know, if you had never done it, you wouldn't know it because we found another beautiful way to get up there. Mm-hmm. But that's, for me personally, that was a real loss. And we right. tried everything we could to figure out a different way to skirt that three quarters of a mile. And we just, we couldn't do it. There was a, there was a cliff. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. And we just, we just couldn't, we just couldn't mm-hmm. get around it. But no one riding it now would, would realize that loss. It's just sort of a, a personal thing because it was so very beautiful. Well, how many times have you ridden it? I have, I have finished it nine times. Wow. And am really hoping this year to get my 10th buckle Number 10. on my wow. 60th year. <laughs> but if you ask me how many times I started it, it's probably double that. So okay. I would say that it's about like the Tevis in that the completion rate overall is probably about 50%. And what is the most memorable ride that you remember ever having on the Bighorn? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. And it's so hard because each one has, you know, has its own memories. Mm-hmm. Um, without a doubt, the first one, you know, is uh-huh. always very, very special. Um, I would think my most positive memory, though, is probably when I finished, got my eighth, I want to say eighth, yeah, my eighth buckle, which would have been 2000 and. Uh, 2013. And the reason it was so memorable is because I had gone 11 years without finishing. Wow. And and so that was that was a really, really bad dry period. And some of it was my own health reasons that I didn't get to ride. Uh, Some of it was not having a horse at at the right time. Uh, And some of it was just, you know, some of it was just dumb luck and bad luck. And, you know, all those things that happen, as you well know, on endurance rides, especially on 100 milers. Mm -hmm. But I think in some ways that was the most meaningful to me because it had been so long that you start to question whether or not you can still do it. Right. And since you're going up into that higher elevation in the mountains, can the weather change quite a bit during the ride? (laughs) It really, really it, I, you know, I alluded to that earlier, but it uh-huh. it really, really can. Um, uh-huh. I actually have some pictures where it's snowing so hard um, on top um, with us. And, um, you know, it, uh, like I said, the, the bottom can be really hot, but you have to be much more prepared for it to rain or the wind to blow or it just mm-hmm. start spitting snow because it's so easy for both the horse and the rider to get chilled up at those high elevations. Right. And now I understand you guys are also providing GPS tracks for the riders we that are. want a little extra security. Absolutely. And I and I encourage people uh, highly <laughs> to have uh-huh. a good GPS. And I know you and I both really believe in them and have used them. And um Mm-hmm. I really, I really recommend that. We have some, some good friends of mine that are going to come ride it for the first time from Alabama and 
um, they're getting their GPSs and going to get those tracks loaded. And there have been several people that have really used them coming down off the mountain in the dark because you can really start second guessing yourself up there, as, as I know you know. Mm-hmm. Um, right. We also, you know, the the big horn has had. Um, I always say, in some ways, we're the anti-Tevis, and that's not as a slam to Tevis. It's just that in some ways, they're both extremely challenging, beautiful wonderful historic rides but Tevis has 500 plus volunteers and we have about 12 okay. <laughs> so somewhere between 12 and 25 um volunteers and we have also struggled a lot with vandalism and i don't i don't mm-hmm. really know enough to know if Tevis struggles with that very much but we have some things that are nature you know we have a terrible problem um, that is kind of unique to us that we have a lot of elk that like to eat our ribbons. They do. <laughs> <laughs> and and the cows do, of course, a lot of people know that. So we have a lot of cattle up there and a lot of elk and they really like to eat the ribbons. And then sadly, we have had some years where we had some pretty serious vandalism by people uh, at some critical junctures. Uh, we also had one year, which is probably my worst year, if you want to know my worst experience on the mountain <laughs> in all these years, is... Um, it started raining at about <clears throat> 30 miles and never stopped and raining hard. Oh, and it doesn't no. typically do that on top of the mountain. Uh, it might snow, but it doesn't usually just rain hard. Mm-hmm. And the ride manager's truck and trailer actually slid off the mountain road that she was on going to mark the, the put the um, glow bars out for the night. Oh no. So she was wrecked on the side of the road. And so, uh, you know, there really was, it really wasn't anyone's fault, but it was a, a terrible situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was safe, thank goodness, but her truck and trailer were not safe. <laughs> and so, um, you know, there had been some things like that. But I think that if you talk to anybody in recent years, they would tell you that the trail has been extremely well marked, plus the GPS coordinates. Um, my husband has been uh, marking with the flashers. Uh, they're actually like bicycle flashers. Oh, okay. That, that he mounts mm-hmm. on um, stakes and takes them all the way down the mountains and you can see them forever. And so that's oh, been really helpful. But um, yeah, that was, that was probably my worst year. There were a whole bunch of us up on the mountain in the pouring down rain and some oh. people were sick and, and that was tough, but it was, you know, that was a, that was a rare thing. Right. So when they do the Bighorn hundred, do they offer any other distances along with it? They do. They offer a 50-mile ride and a 25-mile ride. Okay. And and some years they do a 75. It just depends on the year. I, I believe this year they are offering that 75-mile distance. All right. So people um, can come and just get a taste of what it's like if they're not quite ready to, to jump absolutely. into doing 100 yet. Absolutely. Now, the 25 is, up, is uh, all up on top of the mountain. They don't start down at the bottom. Um, we felt that asking... 25 mile horses, some of which are, you know, new to the sport to climb the mountain mm-hmm. was dangerous. And okay. so we have, mm-hmm. we have a, a trail for them that, that, that uses part of the regular trail, but it's, it's all up on top of the mountain and they don't have to do those big giant climbs through the canyons in real remote areas. Oh, okay. What's the date of this year's ride? It is July 11th. Oh, okay. That's a good date. That's my anniversary date. Well, <laughs> wonderful. And, you know, we always have people um, that are coming from other parts of the country that are 
are even on their way to Tevis and they bring two horses. Mm-hmm. They bring a horse to do the hundred and they bring a horse, you know, to take on to Tevis. We also have some people that will come and do the 50 miler on their Tevis horse as sort of a tune up ride and then, and then <laughs> head on to California to do that. So we do do that. We, we all wish that we could space the Tevis and the Bighorn about four weeks apart. Right. Very so difficult because we, we have such a narrow, window of opportunity to mark the trail that's another problem that we have uh-huh. is that generally the snow is not off of our trail until July 4th okay <laughs> so we really can't have it before then and then several of our most critical volunteers um, are farmers and ranchers and they have obligations in August <clears throat> you know with their with their harvesting and gathering their cattle and stuff. And then we run into hunting season and snow again. Okay. So right. we really have a pretty narrow window there. And so that's generally why we pick the day we do. Okay. So it sounds like you could also use volunteers. If, if somebody wanted to volunteer, <laughs> how would they go about doing that? <laughs> well, it would be wonderful to have uh, more volunteers Probably the thing that we work the hardest on and are the most shorthanded with is people to help mark trail. Now, we've had some wonderful people that you know come and show up and help us like Dave Rabe. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem is it is very remote. And if someone doesn't know where they're going, it's almost like they need someone local to go with them to show them where the trail is. So we're, you know, that's, that's a little difficulty there that, you know, we try to figure out ways to do. And I think as more people get comfortable with GPS, people would be able to help us more that are as familiar with the trail and the terrain. But the day of the ride, we absolutely, we can always use people at vet checks and um, at the base camp and in communications mm-hmm. and uh, people can call me or they can go on the Facebook page um, and they can you know, say, where could you use me? Okay. And how and would they find that, the Facebook page? Okay. It is, it's Bighorn. Hang on a second. I'm going to pull it up here. Uh, it's Bighorn 100, and it's all one word. Okay. So Bighorn 100, all one word on Facebook. And it is a, a closed group, so you have to request, and then one of us that are managers of it will get you on there, and you can volunteer. Okay. And you're going to go for it again this year for number 10. I am. I'm hoping very much to get number 10. I, I had some surgery this year that has set me back, but I've done 250. So I'm, I'm hoping, and you know how endurance riding is. Uh, there's always something out there that can get you when you least expect it. But that's my goal is to, to get my 10th buckle this year. Good. Well, good luck. Thank you so much. And it is for- an amazing trail. Yes, and thank you for telling us about it. We appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. And if anybody wants to um, contact me on Facebook or uh, email or anything like that, they just need to, to give me a call and or private message me on Facebook, and I'd be glad to answer any questions they have. Their snow does not melt till the beginning of July. <laughs> That's the thing I heard and all of that. I was going, what? It's high country. <laughs> I have to say, though, Crazy. you know, I have to uh, put both of these 
hundred mile rides on my bucket list. I've I've got to go do Bighorn someday, and the Quilty. Well, I mean, it is Wyoming. It's like the most beautiful state in the world. I mean, just oh, oh yes, yeah. it's beautiful. So beautiful that's got to be a really, really, really neat ride. Um, yeah, she obviously was very excited about it, so that's cool. And I know. Now that mountain ride sounds about—is it Tevis-like mountain or is it gradual, more gradual up and downs than Tevis? Well, you know, I don't think it has as much elevation gain as Tevis does, but I know it does have a significant amount. It, it's definitely not an easy ride. I mean, you need to mm-hmm. bring a fit horse and and be ready to really, really ride. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. But the dads. Very cool. Well, that one you don't even have to fly to Australia for. No excuses, Karen. (laughs) I know. know. (laughs) You can bring your horse to this one. I know, my own horse. Yeah. And actually, you're probably, what, a day's drive from there? Oh, it's probably a good two days drive. Yeah. You you know, and then you got to give the horse a day to rest. But, but yeah, it's, uh, it sounds like one of those rides I think we all want to aspire to do someday. Just like, Tavis. You know, I'm just really lucky Tavis is so close. Right. It's in my backyard. Right. So that makes it a lot easier. I know it's a lot more of a challenge for riders when they do have to haul across the country to get to it. Well, Cody, Wyoming, beautiful place. Well, uh, anything else today or are we about time to wrap it up? We're getting close. I, I was going to mention my diet. Oh, but, yeah. Um, yeah, what's yeah, this crazy diet you're on? This sounds nuts, by the way. It, it is kind of nuts. It's uh, what it is is it's called an egg fast, and you can do it for three to five days, and basically it's just to burst or bust through your stall. Like a lot of us will go on a diet and we lose a little bit of weight. And then we get stuck. It's like you keep weighing yourself day after day after day, and you're still well, dieting. That's your first mistake. And, you're never supposed and, to do that. <laughs> I know, but then, but then you just you're you you're stuck. You're not dropping any more weight. You're stuck. You're stuck at this certain plateau, and it's the scale's not moving, and you're getting frustrated because you're still you know eating healthy and doing all the right stuff, but you're just not dropping any more weight. So what this does is. Uh, you it it kind of turns your metabolism back on again. So for three to five days, you're just basically eating eggs. And right now, if I never see another egg again, it'll be okay, too soon. Okay, that just sounds crazy. It actually, it worked. In five days, I lost six pounds. Yeah, but you're going to do that in any diet. I hate to burst your bubble. but I know. I'm a diet expert having <laughs> being on a Lyme diet for 15 years. And, ha- and by the way, oh, I just reset. I have to reset my Lyme diet, which means you go back to week one, which is very limited food. I mean, oh. very limited food. So I, I'm, I'm in week one, one again of a three-month thing. Oh. Uh, uh, and what is, what is that? What do you get... You pretty much that. can eat nuts and some greens, and <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's it's really limited. You can't have eggs because they don't want you having eggs oh. uh, for a while. So uh, mine's just the opposite. Yours, no eggs. But uh, okay. yeah. So and then I, I then you also put here you've been drinking bulletproof coffee. What is that? Bulletproof coffee. Yes, I put it in the blender. It's coffee with either coconut oil or a special blend of oil and a. Um, slab of butter <laughs> oh you're doing the butter thing i've heard about this and i always wondered what crazy person was putting butter in their coffee you're and it, it 
And yes, and you blend it up. And, and what's that supposed to do? And actually, by the fifth, fourth, and fifth day on the egg thing, I was actually putting a raw egg in it and blending it up because I couldn't stand the. <laughs> you and the weightlifters. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But if I drank it in the coffee, I didn't notice it. So it was fine. It actually gives you energy. It's supposed to help with your mental clarity and and also turn on your body metabolism to help burn your fat faster. You know, I don't really know if it works. It's a little rich for me. It's not something I really want to drink every day, but once or twice a week I can I can do it. But but you know, it's just kind of an interesting thing. How much thing butter to do try. you put in a cup of coffee? A tablespoonful. Okay, so it's not like a whole yeah, stick. Just like a little slap. I pictured the whole it, stick yeah. of butter in there. No, no. <laughs> like, I know. Butter beer so, from uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's it's kind kind of an interesting way to have coffee. I'm not drinking it this morning though. I'm just drinking plain straight coffee. <laughs> Well, that's a crazy diet, Karen. I got to tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I need to go ride a horse and and carry a flag for practice. So, <laughs> oh, so that's the motivation. You got to fit into your breeches for that's uh, right. for, well, for the, the parade. I, by the time I get to the rose parade, I want to be a little trimmer. Hey, but... I'll send you mine. I guarantee you lose weight. I, you know, okay. I've done this. T- okay. I've done resets. I'm. Con- you know, for life, uh-huh. I have to be on the Lyme diet, um, which is no sugar, no gluten of any kind. Okay, so, that makes sense. Yeah, I, yeah. I know. It's, it's a lot of it. It's, you know, calories in, calories well, out. You cut out y- the sugars and the carbs. And the carbs. That's right. This is. Uh-huh. It, but now they're making more and more gluten-free food. So breads and things like that that are actually edible. I mean, 10 years ago, you couldn't find anything that was edible. Uh, But now they're doing that. But I'll send you this. Both times I I did it, I lost almost 50 pounds in three months. Wow. So it, it but but you have That's to just get good. used to eating, you know, not much. And yep. uh, what you do get to eat really has not a lot of calories, you know. Sure. So, and but, before I got stuck, I I had been you know, my goal was to lose one pound a week, which is a reasonable, That's a reasonable amount. Goal. You're always right. going to lose that five to ten at the beginning. That's your water weight going away. That's just from reducing your calories. I know. And yeah. I did. And then for like 10 or 12 days, I was just stuck. I mean, I even did that endurance ride. I did a 50 and it was like in the mid 90s temperature wise. I didn't eat you know, a lot of, I mean, I did eat, but I ate healthy. I didn't overdo it on the calories or anything. And I come home and I still weigh the same amount. And it was just getting so frustrating. So I gave this a try and it actually, it got me past that, you know, wall that where I was like stuck. Well, and the hardest part about any diet, and like even my resets where I have to go back to week one, uh, the hardest part's first couple of days when your stomach is in the shrinking process and you're just hungry all the time. Once you uh-huh. get through that first week or two, then you can't eat as much. You don't want to eat as much. And that helps a lot. <laughs> well, the, the thing with the eggs that helped is after you eat five or six Yeah, after you eat eggs five days, times a day. <laughs> it's like you don't want to eat anymore. Yes. Although the cool thing is, is you can use uh, like up to one ounce of any kind of cheese with each egg cream cheese or cheddar or whatever you like. Now, and so your that, cholesterol is through the roof right now, but that's that okay. Helped. That Yeah. <laughs> Deal with that later. <laughs> All right. Where, where okay. can people find out about the endurance rides coming up? Yes, there are a lot of rides coming up. 
for the, you know, the weather's turned nice all over the country right now. So writers can go to aerconline.org or just aerc.org and click on the ride calendar and look up the rides uh, that are close to them. They've also got a listing of endurance clinics for those that are new and want to learn more about the sport. Very good. And of course, you can listen to the Horses in the Morning show at horsesinthemorning.com, the re- recorded version. If you want to go back and listen to Karen's past episodes, she is on the second Tuesday of every That's right, right? Second Tuesday of every month. Mm-hmm. And you can just go back and search for Karen Chatton or Endurance, and it'll bring up all the past episodes, and you can take a listen to those. You can follow the Horse Radio Network on Twitter, actually, at Horse Radio. And of course, you can catch, out, catch up on all the shows on the Horse Radio Network. We have eight different shows over on our app iOS or Android just hop on the phone or your tablet and go to the app store and search for horse radio network it's free it's easy to use it's the simplest way to listen to our recorded shows well that's it for this month Karen we'll talk to you again next month safe travels thank you you too I gotta play the music hold on (laughs) 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 gotta get the order of events right (laughs) 